0: It's time for the only show where today's top mid-revenue cycle leaders share the personal stories, struggles, and successes that you won't hear on the big stage, but made them who they are today. Are you ready to go off the record? Here's your host, Brian Murphy.
1: The end of the year, it's a time to reflect and look back on what we've accomplished, what we've learned, but it's also a time to enjoy the holidays with friends and family and have a little damn fun too. Well, we're we're here to do that because I love this time of year, and I think we've got a great program in store for you today. It's the end of 2023, and I wanted to bring on a couple of guests from my home base, which I think most of you know is Norwood. We're going to be doing a little bit of. Well, a little bit of everything, I think, a little bit of remembrance, um, some lessons learned from the podcast, which they've already told me they dreaded these questions, thinking they were going to be a lot easier than uh, I had promised, but i um, trying to recap what we did over the year on the program. So we are going to talk about that, some personal successes, um, and also have a little bit of fun and talk about some of the things we're planning over the holiday. So um, I am thrilled today to have two guests on, again, a rarity, but... Um, this is going to be a little bit of an out-of-the-box program, even for Off the Record. I'm joined today by Sandra Love. Sandra is the director for solutions for us here at Norwood. And I've also got with me Joanne Wilson, who is a senior director of solutions, also with Norwood, we'll bring you a Norwood Power power Trio. I want to welcome you guys to Off the Record. Thanks for joining the show. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah. Happy to be here. I am so glad to have you. So Sandra is our is a returning guest. You guys might remember her from pediatrics. We're not going to talk pediatrics unless Sandra forces it in, which she sometimes does. Uh, Joanne, this is her first appearance, and uh, so psyched to have you guys on. You know, I, I thought maybe we could start with some. Um, well, it's something that I like to do personally, and wondering what, what you guys do with this, and I'll open it up. But end of year reflections. You know, again, this is. as of the recording date, this is December 15th. And by the time this publishes, it's going to be late late December. Um, And this time of year, um, I like to look back on what I did over the course of the year. And I actually have a process for this, which is relatively new. I've been doing it now for probably three or four years, but um, I'll share mine and then I'll have you guys share yours. But uh, I keep um, a gratitude journal over the course of the year. So, it's a very simple it's like half of a page uh, document that I keep. It's um it's in Word. I'm happy to share it with anyone including my listeners on the show or you guys if you want to see it. But basically, it's it's sort of a it's a it, it reminds me of the things I'm grateful for. And I put 3 three things every single morning Monday through Friday that I'm grateful for. Usually it winds up being almost memories of what I did the day prior but it can also be you know bigger things like my family daughters and those type of things both coming home by the way for the holidays we were just chatting about this I have both my college-aged daughters home so that that was an easy bullet in my journal today and then the rest of the the document is I, I list out uh, five things that are going to make the day great should I accomplish them and then the final entry is what one thing do you have to do today and I figure if I only get that one thing done, my day is a success, right? At least I've done something. So at the end of the year, I go back and I look at all of those things that I did. And that then informs me how much I actually did over the year. And I can reflect on the entire year because I have all these dated, I save them all daily. And it makes a really nice end of year reflection. So I'm not expecting anyone else to do something like that. I, I picked this up from a another podcast that I'm a podcast nerd. If you haven't guessed that I listen to, uh, practice I recommend, but, um, just curious what, if you, do you guys do any type of end of year reflection, anything you look back on and and say, um, this was pretty cool. I did this year. I, I know internally as a company, we're going to be doing some like my plan stuff and looking back what we did over the quarter and annually. Um, maybe I'll start there. I'll, I'll toss it out to, to Joanne. I don't know if Joanne, if you have anything you want to talk about either, either that, that you do formally or just you're happy about, uh, from the year.
2: Yeah. So, um, mine is, uh, reflection is not as robust as yours. Okay. So um, I tend to be the typical type of a nurse that is OCD. And if I put too many things down on a list or focus, I get myself overwhelmed. I end up being that proverbial chicken with their head cut off running around like crazy. And then I'm getting upset. So I tend to focus on just three items. I'll pick three items. And usually I will do that in segments. Um, and that allows me to focus on those individual goals and then I when I feel I've obtained it that goal or if I need to reevaluate or readjust it I'll do that accordingly and then I'll roll that over to my second and so for me personally, that helps me stay focused and not as overwhelmed. And so one of the things that I really have tried to accomplish to help my brain kind of slow down in the evening so I can sleep is I will actually read. So that was one of my major goals this year. Um, previously, I did not have the opportunity um, to be able to read and have that that time dedicated. And so I have um, started reading um, multiple books, um, and some of them are self-help. Some of them are, um, focused on, um, just being able to change your mindset. So almost in, in an alignment with that gratitude, what are you grateful for? And so uh, taking, um, a attitude and changing it, taking that lemon and making it into lemonade kind of perspective, um, has really been my focus, um, as a, as I look back over the year.
1: Awesome. Awesome. I'm I'm a big advocate of reading. You can see by all my nerdy books behind me here on the shelves. But is there any title in particular, Joanne, that you th- was helpful for you this year? Or you mentioned self help, and and you're reading at night right before bed to yep.
2: Right before I go to bed, and so um, I actually have some friends that are um, Buddhist, and so they've been sharing their beliefs with me. And the one thing that I've really noticed with them um, is. They always have, they're not 100%, right, because we're all human, but they always have a positive perspective. And just some of their um, teachings and how they um, turn a a negative into a positive. It doesn't happen overnight, but I think some of those um, books that they have shared with me, multiple, has really helped me to focus on that.
1: Nice. Nice. I, I'll, I'm, I'm going to do this a couple of times during the podcast today, but one of my guests on the show um, recommended Ikigai, the Japanese secret to a long and happy life. This was uh, Nicole Fox, who is a pediatric trauma surgeon and uh, needs to have a little bit of levity and calmness in in that type of life, as you can imagine. So very cool. So this is this, this your first off the record callback to a prior show. Well, thanks for sharing that, Joanne. Appreciate it. How about you, Sandra?
0: I did decide to do things a little bit different this year. Um, as Joanne said, being a nurse, you tend to find all those nuances that you put down for the year. And it's like, okay, I usually do too many. And when I get frustrated that I can't do them all, or I feel like things go sideways, yep. I, you almost feel, I almost feel like a failure so <laughs> you know when you can't do that and I think it's just that nurse perspective because you're always I was always working and I always try to put others first over myself and so I thought I talked to I talked to my husband a lot he's my therapist so if anybody <laughs> knows, he he is my go-to person that is who I do a lot of my reflection over and when I have tough times I go to him and I ask him you know like what would you do? Because he actually is um, works over quality at his job, and he is learning how to make policies and procedures and kind of doing similar things that I do, but as a machinist. So I just look at him, and I, I just ask him all the time of, you know, if you had this situation and I did this, what would you do being in the same role? And that, to me, is how I reflect throughout the year and how I handle different things that come.
1: It's awesome that you have that such a great relationship with your husband that you can bounce stuff off him and ask for his advice, and and he's your sounding board, and um, that's pretty pretty darn cool. Um, anything that you guys are particularly, I, and I'll, I'll I'll actually start with mine, and then I'll I'll bounce it over you guys. But I this uh, this one kind of actually blends personal and professional. But I was um taking a look back at 2023. I haven't done the full exercise yet, but. Uh, just for, for company sake, I was doing this. And uh, speaking about my old colleague, Melissa Varnavis at the Actus 2023 conference was, was my biggest, uh, it, it was uh, certainly, um, again, blend of personal and professional, but a re- re- Professional experience being up there and able to speak and keynote at Actis was remarkable. It was very, very difficult because Melissa and I worked together, gosh, for fourteen years um, at Actis, and had been friends outside of the organization. You know, i had her over my house, out to dinner so many times, so many trips together, and and to lose her in twenty twenty two as I did from from breast cancer was was um it was it was tragic she was only 48 years old when she passed away far too young and had a lot of life left and but to be able to recognize her and encapsulate her life for an audience people that knew her but a lot of people that didn't know her was incredibly rewarding for me and i'm I'm just so grateful i had the chance to do that and it was a lot of prep it was a lot of work so i kind of lumped that into you know again both categories there and then, just just personally, um, spending more time with my dad this year. You know, my my dad is seventy nine, and um, we'll we'll get to Medicare Advantage later. But he's on a Medicare Advantage plan, and he's got every HCC you can imagine, <laughs> every chronic condition under the sun. He's he's probably got it. Uh, he's despite that, he's still in okay health, um, but his life is changing. You know, his mobility's diminishing. This friend group has shrunk quite a bit due to age and losing friends, and I made a deliberate effort to spend a lot more time with them this year. And I'm very grateful I was able to do that, and that I still have them uh, over the holidays here. So, those are my two um, that I'm that I was grateful for this year for accomplishing. I don't. Is there anything you guys want to share? Uh, maybe I'll start again with with you, Joanne, um, that you might have accomplished this year that you want to talk about.
2: Sure. I think one of the greatest things for me, um, and they both blend over is the focus, um, 2023 for me was a personal focus on a actual work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And so um, we all talk about it, but what does that really mean? And then having to stick to my own set parameters, um, you're only going to work during this many hours. You're going to focus on um, not 100% work. You're going to remind yourself that it's okay to put you in a first um, position um, and in a place because as nurses, anybody that's in healthcare, we always put everybody else first. And so that's a total mindset difference. And I think, you know, as we, we mature in life and things change and our personal scenarios, um, there's new meaning and difference in our world, right? Yep. And so what was a focus for me in my 40s is not a focus for me in my 50s. And I'm okay with that. I'm decluttering. I'm thinking about, oh, one day I may be able to retire. And hmm. just setting some of those those goals um, for my futuristic state, but also in the real now time and now that we have i'm still continuing um being productive i think believe i'm more productive now than i was when i was working a numerous amount of hours per week because i'm refreshed i can walk away from work i can come back and do things that i want to do and it just makes me a better person um not only professionally, but internally. And I think that has been my major accomplishment this year.
1: How about, how about you, Sandra? Anything that you look back on with sense of accomplishment or pride 2023?
0: I do. Like I said, I, I took uh, 2023 in a different route. And um, I didn't really set any goals because, like I said, I always feel like I didn't accomplish them. But one of the things that I did was be about myself. As Joanne said, We, you tend to put yourself first before anyone else, you you put everyone else above yourself and I always do that. Unlike you, Brian, I have family with health uh, issues and, you know, we all have things that come in life and we try to assist people with and, and be there for family and friends and my goal for myself personally this, this year without making a new year's resolution was just what can I do to make myself be the primary person that I need to focus on this year. And those were some of the things. And last year when my dad was sick, um, I realized he was talking about different things, of stuff that he wished he'd gotten to do when he retired. And my sister was with me and I said, you know what? 2023, we're putting ourselves first and this is what we're going to do. So our goal has been for the whole year to do things that we would never do. Um, Things that, our family wouldn't do but we think would be exciting we're very adventurous we don't mind doing anything um as long as it doesn't hurt us but uh but we have we you know have talked we've done things of just like trying new foods and doing different activities and making sure that when we do that if we can involve our family that it's something they want to try just showing them how much fun life can be and it is part of the work-life balance is You know it's nothing for me to work 12 16 hours even still as a CDI that's what I've been doing for the last um, 12 years it's I still I I can't get uh, I've been working a long time since I was 15 so being able to break that was very hard and so this was one of the first years I've been able to do with saying okay you have to put a time limit on what you're doing each day you have to put yourself first and I've had so much because my kids are at that time where they're changing and being Mm -hmm. able to travel and stuff, being able to balance that this year along with trying new stuff. Um, Not necessarily, it's not a bucket list, but it's just different things. Um, And it kind of went over into my work life a little bit. Um, One of the things that I have accomplished a lot is I love to learn new things and being able to put myself first is like you can do this. You can do anything you put your mind to it, and I was able to teach myself um, a couple new EHR systems. And to be able to take that expertise and reach out to someone, knowing that I was I could do this, I was able to teach the healthcare system who has these EHR systems something they didn't even know they could be done. Um, So those are things that I feel like are good accomplishments and it just makes you something to be proud of. And I look trying to take this, uh, what I did for um, this year and move it into next year and just moving forward. But like Joan said, having COVID, it really did hit a, oh my gosh, you know, everything got to be on hold. And I started doing double time. And then when all my kids went back, when my kids went back to school, it was like, how did I do this? And I still didn't put myself first. So Mm -hmm it's definitely been a change and I haven't, I have definitely enjoyed this year more than I have in a long time.
1: That's awesome. Well, to hear both of your stories there, you know, a lot of overlap there, you know, in terms of reprioritizing what's important, that's a great message for all of us to take into 2024. I love it. All right. Well, um, you know, going into the show, I was wondering how we, how we were going to take, this last program of the year and three things i thought would be that i took from the show one was one was people and it was the changing roles that people have as mid-revenue cycle professionals in 2023 um the different characteristics and traits that that, that these changes in jobs and regulations have have caused them to uh, adopt so one was people um one was sort of the broader regulation specifically, and, and the, the, the way that CDI and coding is practiced, especially in the outpatient venues. I have I had a lot of guests on to talk about risk adjustment and Medicare Advantage, which this year, I believe passed Medicare in terms of covered lives. So we've got that that incredible growth of Medicare Advantage and HCCs and, and what that means. And then the other one recently, you guys have, I'm sure have seen, I've been covering a lot of technologies. Um, artificial intelligence, you know, including generative AI like ChatGPT, which has all the headlines right now, but also you know assistive technologies, computer-assisted physician documentation, things that will elevate, you know, um, scan the record, elevate questions to the provider without even having a CDI in between. So interesting tech that I think has changed. Um, these, these professions uh, for, probably for good going forward. So those are really the three biggest that I was able to pull out looking back again, over 25 guests, 25 different shows. And wanted to just chat about these, this each of these could be an hour in and of themselves, but just to get a couple thoughts on you guys um, on these topics, maybe I'll start with Joanne, you know, Joanne, thinking about people working in this space, Curious what your thoughts are on someone uh, the mid I I guess I I call it the mid rev cycle professional of the future. You know there are, there are so many skills that a person needs to have. No one's going to have all of these in equal measure, or even have all of them. But things like you know, for example, being comfortable with new technology, uh, being self-aware, stuff we've been talking about on the show, uh, comfort with complexity, and having to learn. Um, all the time, learn about the latest code changes that have occurred. You know, the, the, what Medica how Medicare Advantage and and uh, you know the, that payment methodology differs from fee for service, et cetera, et cetera. Is there anything that you think the the, the mid rev cycle professional of the future looks like, and and what they have to bring to the table to succeed in 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 our this challenging environment I've just described?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. When we think about just the complexity of inpatient, knowing inpatient guidelines, knowing the outpatient guidelines, knowing the multifaceted guideline changes, the rules, payment methodology, PSIs, hacks, it is ever evolving. And I think the best candidate um, is that um, learner, the one that is always willing to learn. Um, Sandra brought that up. Right? She was always wanting to better herself. And mm-hmm. I think he, and when we think about change management, um, a lot of the times it's hard for us to change, right? Um, what do you mean I have to change my workflow? And so I think as we watch this evolution of technology that continues to grow at such a fast pace, um, the mid-cycle, um, professional has got to be willing to keep up to date. Yep. So how do we do that? So we look at strengths and weaknesses. I am not a pediatric nurse. I am a cardiac nurse, right? I love adults. I'm a cardiovascular ICU nurse. Mm -hmm. I am not strong in oncology. I am not strong in pediatrics. I can teach pediatrics, but I'm going to go to my experts. So I'm going to rely on my colleagues that are really strong. And so when we think about what makes you a better person for the future is understanding your strengths and your weaknesses, and then working on those weaknesses. It doesn't mean you're going to move from a novice to an expert, but willing to put yourself out to learn, A, that technology, or maybe I have a new program coming on, or, oh no, we've got um, the changes, 24, 28 payment methodologies and the guidelines. That's huge. Um, And so taking it as a um, chunk out of the elephant at a time versus trying to expand yourself to eat that whole change in parameters in the inpatient, outpatient, um, risk-adjusted settings, that is what that um, professional needs to do. I continue to have to experience that, and I've been in consulting almost um, 15 to 20 years. And so, it's the future. Um, and that's mm-hmm. the one thing that makes it exciting. Um, when I train new people that are coming over into CDI, I'm like, this is the only job post bedside nursing for all of these years that keeps me excited every day because I'm continuing mm-hmm. to be challenged and learned and it's only going to continue. So I think it's, a, it's it can be a scary place right now, but I also think it's a fun place to be at looking at the future and being involved um, and changes in healthcare.
1: I love that. And if, for those that like follow me on LinkedIn, like most of what I do is I'm just reading this stream of news coming out that impacts these professions, you know, new, new codes that are coming down the line. There's a changing clinical definitions, new technologies. You see, like you you have to keep up on this, but it, I think it's it's exciting. If you, if you like to learn and you're, there is there is so much to learn you you're never going to be bored, right? This is not a static job where you're coming into a factory and you're cranking out widgets doing the same thing every day. it's it's always changing and some people not everyone it's not for everyone. you know, some people don't like that they they like a little bit more stability and um, knowing what they have to do and just getting really good at it whereas this these these professions do require, uh, keeping your ear to the ground, reading, paying attention, going going to training sessions, webinars, listening to podcasts like this, um, and keeping on top of the news. If if that's what you like, you will find something to love in this profession.
0: You have to be able to not only learn, but you have to be able to multitask and be able to incorporate different aspects into your knowledge base of what mm-hmm. you're trying to reach out. So. I think of, you have to remember, not only are you gonna need um, to think about like classes to go to boot camps or maybe certifications, look at those, see what they can help you with. But also too, to be able to go in and reflect and understand, oh, when I'm looking at different things, regardless if it's an inpatient, it's outpatient, it's all an encompassing. You have to be able to know, everything is not just CDI by itself. It's not just coding. It is everything in between, and one of the things that I have learned throughout, regardless if you're an HIM coder or CBI, is you have to, whenever you're doing a reflection of reviews and looking at your patients and how you're going to be an advocate for not only your physicians, but those patients as well, because what you say does matter and that knowledge base that joanne mentioned being able to have that behind you along with your expertise but also show them that you really are thinking about breaking these standards down and you're actually putting them all together in a box you're not siloing them you're putting them Mm -hmm. together and showing people how to link those processes together being able to have that mindset is what to to me will make you a great person in this profession because you have to look at everything. You know, you can't go in and just look at it as, I'm just a coder. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to follow my guidelines and what the healthcare system says. You do have to go in. And I teach people when you're CDI, you have to understand, you have to learn to be a coder. You have to learn what population health does. You have to learn what quality, you know, you, you have to understand your ACOs. Who do you reach out? You have to know contracts. I mean, if you're going to be able to make changes or be able to use your knowledge and show of things that you see and be a voice to make those changes, you have to be able to understand and know what all are those key components. So when you go to help them understand why you're pressing this and why it's important to make these changes, because healthcare is always changing. Mm -hmm. It seemed like every two weeks, I was learning a new protocol as a nurse or every month it was, you can't do this or you can't do that. And you know, it used to frustrate people. And I was like, oh, I can do this. Um, And then when I went into CDI, I thought, oh my gosh, I got to think like a neonatal nurse. I got to think like a pediatric nurse. And then I have to think about adults. And, you know, you have to be able, and to be able to go from one age group to the other to show multitasking, I realized there was all these gaps when I was going in between of oh my gosh, there's all these things that we're not looking at. And that's when I realized that is something that's needed in this profession. You have to be able to know when to start pulling in different areas and why it's important to start diving in and and showing people why it's important. And to me, that's one of the biggest things I think they need as a healthcare professional.
1: Yeah. Especially
0: in HIM or CDI or coding.
1: I love it. I love it. Speaking of breaking down silos and risk adjustment. It's um, so taking a look back. One of my shows I had back in October was with uh, this Katie McLaughlin. She was a, um, a DNP and, uh, you know, so a provider and, um, but also got into risk adjustment. And um, one of the things that that she pioneered in, in her organization at the time was uh, clinics that were scheduled purely around just getting patients in for annual wellness visits. And at the same time, you know, that, that clinical aspect then capturing all that was needed uh, in that, in that AWV for risk adjustment. So like, that's an example of let's get these patients in, we'll treat them in a less expensive setting and make proactive medicine as opposed to reactive and, but also tying it in with the coding and documentation piece, um, just that's that actually that type of thing gets me excited about healthcare because i th- i think it is what people talk about when they talk about value based care is let's treat patients in a more proactive way in a less expensive setting um, and capture all that and and get paid appropriately for it all at the same time um and and this was a big focus of off the record in 2023 was that risk adjustment space just want to get a couple of your thoughts on Medicare V Medicare advantage. Um, I don't know, again, it it looks like things are tipping heavily in these on the side of Medicare advantage. As I, as I mentioned earlier, this is the first year where the number of covered lives in Medicare advantage was has surpassed Medicare. It's, it's, it's incredible. I didn't know I would ever see that in my time, but these, you look at the growth of, you know, United health and Humana, um, Cigna on and on, the number of patients that they cover and the expansion they've had and, and the effort they've done in marketing to get traditional Medicare patients under Medicare Advantages. Do, do you guys see this replacing Medicare in, in, in time? And um, two part question do you, do you see that happening? And then, you know, just about going back to skills and people, are there any particular skills you think a CDI professional needs to succeed in this space as opposed to traditional inpatient? DRG driven CDI. I don't know who wants to take that first. Uh, may, maybe I'll throw it back to Sandra here, but, and then, and then you, Joanne.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. So that's something I always think about. And I did reflect of what most of the things that I would look at of why Medicare's advantage is uh, advantages increasing. And a lot of that I think is it takes time and understanding for the providers to get that information to them to realize these are things that we need to document and capture for our patients. So if we can capture that, we can go back and they can work, you know, a social worker or case management can help those patients get a different um, payer to help them. And if it goes from regular Medicare to Medicare Advantage, that's one way to show that because there are a lot of patients out there who don't show up and make it to their appointments and you're not able to capture all of the complex cares that they need. And those usually are, you know, people who tend to call EMS and go straight to the hospital. Um, And now that we're bringing this service aware, it's, oh, let's do telehealth. Let's figure out a way to bring these people in the hospital. And I think that's the rise of why you're seeing more in the Medicare advantages, because for once, we have been able to expand the knowledge base of what physicians are needing. And they're now seeing this and you've got nurse practitioners who are going out to the homes of people who haven't been Mm -hmm. to appointments in a long time. So there's a lot of things that are going on out there. And I think that's one of the things that helped with the rise of that. Um, My my father
1: had that done, by the way, Sandra, we had a, we had a uh, NP come out to his home and not only did he check against his medications and look at his mobility, but he also was, I could see him, ticking through all these diagnoses that he might have reconfirming them in the home setting it's it's fascinating really
0: it is it it is great that they're doing that because there's a lot of people who just who can't get out um and there's a lot of people that still have a fear of coming because of you've got RSV and new covid strands and so they are nervous about getting out um and trying to come so having these nurse practitioners go it's it's very helpful to be able to capture this but Medicare fully going away um, just because I think, you know, some of the resources, you know, the cost of that I think will make the difference of why you would not want to put them in that category. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, you want to make sure that that funding's out there for the people who need it. And there are a lot of people who, like I said, we're just now getting them in the door and getting that documentation captured for them to get this better payment plan. Um, yeah. but I don't and again, it. yeah, really I, away.
1: yeah, I don't want to paint Medicare advantages anything without flaws because it has them. They're well documented. We've seen them in the audit reports. We've seen them in some of the excess denials, pre-auth, cumbersome pre-auth requirements. They have this this problems with that model, too. Like nothing's perfect, but um, it's just it's an in, it's interesting that to see that these. How they're both interacting, who is going to win, if there will be a winner, maybe that will continue forever with both models. We might. Uh, Joanne, do you have any thoughts on this on this topic?
2: So I think Sandra hit, hit the nail on the head in the aspect of we will probably not see a traditional going away of, you know, your Medicare. Um, yep. It's going to be a blend. It, it's going to have to be a blend. And as we think about it, what makes that right person to switch? Like maybe you have an inpatient um, CDI nurse that's thinking about going into risk adjustment and ambulatory CDI. It's a different mindset. Um, it's a different um you're dealing with technology you're reviewing accounts um, perspective um, versus concurrent so and yep. um, it, it does pose some challenges in itself but I think it's also rewarding because as we think about it it's breaking those silos down, uh, it used to be patient was discharged from an inpatient admission, and yes, they go to their um, PCP or their specialist in follow up, but the silo was there. And so as we see that continuum of care, that really is the crux of um, healthcare, the goal of it, um, where we have that patient being taken care of and not missing out on the restorative um, aspect of what acute condition they have, but also managing their chronic conditions and helping them. I remember back years ago where we were in an inner city hospital, we were sending patients home with scales and working and calling them every day. And did you weigh yourself today? Did you take Mm -hmm. your medicine? And so we've seen this evolve around um, the, the care of patients with chronic conditions. And so I think it's imperative that we continue to break those silos down and help practitioners understand. It isn't just, oh, I need to click on a diagnosis and move on. It is that continuum of care that we all want for that patient. And But how do we help that practitioner effectively and efficiently complete all the tasks he has to do when they're seeing patients in the ambulatory setting?
1: Love it. Love it. All right. Last content question before we get to some of our holiday plans. I want to save a little time for that at the end of the show, but uh finally I, as i mentioned earlier i've uh, been spending a fair amount of time on the podcast talking about new technologies um and there are quite a few of them. This has been a huge year if you're a technology nerd when you if, when you can go on uh open a i and use ChatGPT g p t and it it it's almost it it sounds freakishly like a human when you interact with it and you ask it a question and the answers it gets spit out and the way you can refine your answers and we're starting to see these products being applied in the healthcare setting. You know, I was just listening to um a 3M program earlier and they um are talking about like ChatGPT and like the physician who was on using it who was on who was in working in Epic was um you know, was auto-generating um you know the the outcome of the H and and the, the conversation they're having with the patient, and they were asking them to just sort of, you know, put this in the form of a history and physical, and the GPT would take all that information, and physician would review it, and then boom, it go populates the medical record, and then maybe it was a coder is going to code from that same AI generated report. So it's evolving, fascinating technology. But curious for you guys, wh- where does the where does the person? Uh how do they stay a A relevant and B work healthily with this technology without getting overwhelmed by it? I know Sandra, you've had a lot to say about this in the past. I think you're still, maybe you do Joanne, both of you smiling. You're both still proponents of the the book, you know, learning the the, the logic behind this, not letting a computer, Take over your job and you'd be a, be a slave to the encoder. Some people get encoder dependent. Now they're going to be maybe presumably AI dependent. But how do you see people still working, uh, maintaining their autonomy and using this technology healthily? You know,
0: these technologies, they are great to have. They do, they are time savers, but there's also those moments that you need to go back and reflect. So I think it's great that, you know, someone's using Chat GPT to put in their notes, but they're actually telling them what they want in the note. Mm -hmm. So it's not exactly because, you know, it needs that information to make you a note. If it didn't have that, then you're going to have to, you're going to be like, okay, where did it pull all this from? Because I didn't give you this information. Um, So that is the piece that we have to stop and think about as a person to go in. And you have to understand what are the criteria and the aspects of how was the software written, the rules and, um, all the pieces and nuances and parameters of where it's pulling things, things from because you know there are a lot of times it will suggest something and it didn't pick up that there's a medication that actually can be used for that um, because they have multiple uses and it doesn't always have that knowledge base in there. Um, sometimes you it feeds negative words uh, like if there's something that I used to see, you know patient denies and then all of a sudden, you have a diagnosis pop up and it said, but the patient denied this and it was never, you know, confirmed, uh, pulling in from, I see a lot of past medical history problem with just because they get pulled into the note. Not sure. um, a lot of times it doesn't, you know, there are some that maybe could put a logic in there of where it's coming from, but a lot of times you have to just double check and make sure that it's not coming from some of those, um, places and that you just have all the pieces to your puzzle together um, because I do find that there are suggestions on saying, oh, hey, you know, CBI, if you're using this, we want you to use our AI piece and our um, CBI tool. It's a great thing to have, especially if you don't understand all the nuances of what you need to get a query for to make it compliant. It can be great for that, but then it also can suggest that, like I said, if it doesn't read negative uh, key terms of saying don't pick this up or not. Sometimes it just doesn't understand. And sometimes the parameters are a little bit different and it doesn't realize that your hospital uses different parameters on labs um, and different things like that. There's just, there's all kinds of little things of nuances that kind of interfere with the AI technology when it's reading the chart. So my, Takeaway for that is, is make sure you understand what all it is reading from, and yeah. just go back in and make sure you're keeping an eye on that. And tell your CDI or your coders, um, just be mindful. Don't always just assume it's picking up correctly. Make sure you're looking at those notes. Um, because right. sometimes I have found it pulled them, and you're like, oh wait a minute, can't use that because it looked like it was pulled it from the assessment and plan, but it really isn't. If you go to the full note, you're like, oh it was mixed in and so those are the aspects that you yeah. have to really think about when you're looking at this
1: that's interesting Sandra because we our our colleague Jason Jobs is always posting on LinkedIn about these uh, Medicare Advantage plans that are being audited and paybacks for you know these diagnoses that you wouldn't expect to see in a office setting or outpatient setting or clinic setting like the, the Acute stroke, like they probably shouldn't be seeing that in those settings. But I'm wondering if it's not, perhaps, the, I'm I'm speculating here, fault of a machine that's pulling from a prior record and that's being the codes being applied without a human looking at it and saying, "Oh, this is well, that that should have been a history of." It. Like a lot of these did happen, but they happened in the past, so they're no longer applicable to the to the current state. You, I'm, but it's just a thought there, but you you make a good point that machines can can pick that stuff up and elevate it and put it in a query, but you still need a person to confirm whether it's still valid and active and reportable. So good point there. How about you, Joanne, do you have any thoughts about the state of tech and and how people fit in with it? So
2: I'm just gonna second what Sandra said, just based upon the fact, um, use your references don't just auto accept what's populated. Right. And then yep. make sh- use your clinical hat to validate, um, and, um, I know a lot of times we may be under a fast production-based systems, and we get click happy, accept, 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 Um, but we need to make sure that we're validating It's appropriate, and it will help with the practitioners also with the white noise that they get um, as they're um, looking at their charts, whether it be BPA-related, et cetera. um, We can help drive um, positivity in the medical record by validating.
1: Yep. Great, great suggestions, guys. All right. Well, we're getting closer to the end here. So I want to wrap up with a little bit of holiday planning and what you guys have on schedule. So for all of us here, we're 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 we are working next week. We're we're off next Friday and then through the holidays. I'm looking forward to the time off. Do you have anything that you're excited about? Any any family gathered? Sandra's kind of squishing up her face. I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh What do you have in the uh, in the old plans? You you guys host. So, from my perspective, we are we host Christmas Eve every year. We I love doing it. It's I prefer Christmas Eve because, um, unlike Thanksgiving and some of the other holidays, we don't we don't plot out a big sit down full multiple course meal for everyone. It's everyone brings their own hors d'oeuvres and they're good ones, like stuff we put in the in the oven, we do scallops wrapped in bacon, and we do party rye's—these little rye breads with cheese and bacon. I guess bacon is sort of the, the common thing that goes in probably all of our orders. Uh, but right out of the oven, we just we eat eat them and drink a little bit, play play a little bit of uh, Yankee Swap. So, you guys have anything that you're got planned for the holidays? Maybe I'll start with you, Joanne here.
2: Yeah. Traditionally, um, we do something on Christmas morning. We tend to do a Christmas brunch with mimosas. And so oh, nice. um, nope. everybody comes in in their PJs. And so um, <laughs> everybody's wearing weird PJs. Um, it's free for all. Uh, and we sit there and we celebrate and we have a good time. Um, everybody brings food dishes. So it is like a potluck. And so you don't have the pressure. And then we also have um, wild games of of um, family takedown we have famous uno that can be just a wild and crazy time believe it or not with a bunch of people and so it gets gets cutthroat what is family
1: takedown i I haven't heard i haven't heard of that so
2: it is actually where we get cutthroat when one person may be sitting there with up to 30 cards of uno and so (laughs) um we have one person in our family that is um he is sight challenged and so the uno cards are very large so they can see the colors <laughs> and so you end up looking like you're playing at a casino royale with all these cards in your hands and the family has always from the minute the nieces and nephews were old enough to play it's like down and dirty it doesn't matter if you're a family member it's like we're going to take you out and so no matter what it's going to be a great time and yelling at each other and we yeah. just play a lot of games together and have a good time
1: and i'm sure it's probably helped along by the mimosas we do the same we (laughs) bring out the orange juice and champagne and that's it's a blast i'm so looking forward to that all right sandra anything from your your side of the family what do you have planned
0: oh my gosh uh we as far as i can remember from a child we've always met on christmas eve and we started that with my grandparents so we would have I would have lunch with my family, and then we would go to my grandparents on my dad's side that night. And we always did that on Christmas Eve. And then when they passed, you know, family just, we have a large family, so they kind of dispersed because they were moving to different states. So we kept up with the tradition for our families to still meet um, and everything. So what we do is we just moved it to the nighttime instead of having lunch. So that way if someone else has another family that they have to get together with, Because we have a lot of elderly people in our, especially on my sister's side of the family. So we, um, you know, and her husband, they just go ahead. And so they have moved their tradition to there. And we've taken the evening and we've been doing that for a while. Uh, Gosh, like I said, since I was five. Um, And maybe even before that. And then um, we have always had a tradition with my kids. We get ready for Santa Claus. We prep out. We do reindeer food. We do Santa food and um, it, it doesn't always, doesn't have to be cookies. He gets fudge, he gets homemade fudge. Um, he gets soda um, because he, we figure he's tired of milk when he comes by, my kids come up with that. Um, the elves throw a party and they get food before their long um, run back. So we've been doing that for years. And then in the morning we get up, and we have fun, let the kids open up presents. And then we started a new tradition about five years ago with inviting his mother um, over to enjoy um, Christmas with us. And so she gets to see the kids and she actually comes over in her PJs and we kind of have, you know, get together and the kids play and share all our Christmas gifts. And then we have um, breakfast that Jerry cooks because I don't cook. So he, <laughs> you know, uh, okay. he, he does all that. That's our tradition. And uh, this That's year we decided to make a new one and we're going to start traveling. So, we are possibly going to be leaving either Christmas night or afterwards and that's going to be we're gonna start taking vacation during the week.
2: Right
1: awesome. after
2: so We're okay. very,
0: very excited to start a new tradition.
1: That sounds lovely. Well, thanks for sharing guys. Um, I have to put this last one in because otherwise my listeners will be disappointed. As, as you all know, I do I have an off the record Spotify playlist. It's an actual thing. I will share it again updated. Let's let's go favorite Christmas song. All right. We've, I've already, <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> he changed
2: it up on us. He's yeah. like, Oh, okay.
1: Well, uh, you know, I, I, okay, if you want to throw, if you want to throw a classic rock hit and I actually haven't had you on the show yet. So I have had Sandra on. And as I recall, Sandra, you, you had put in a queen song, which, um, which we, which we added to the off the record Spotify playlist. If you do want to go Christmas though, Hey, stick with the theme. I'll allow it, but just just no Feliz Navidad because I, I I cannot listen to that song. Uh, if I never hear it again, it'll be too soon. So uh, let's let's add those to the playlist. I'll have uh, Sandra. You go first. What do you got?
0: Rocking around the Christmas tree. All right. I love that song. We always when it's playing, we get up and dance. <laughs> so it's our favorite song.
1: Rocking around the Christmas tree. All right, mm-hmm. we got it. How about you, <laughs> Joanne? What do you have? I, I threw you for a loop. See, You this did, is the, but I was is, already prepared. I was sweating,
2: you know? I'm like, know oh my I gosh.
1: This is always the toughest question on every show without fail. I could be talking to someone about, I don't know, sepsis, and they could rattle off every clinical indicator, but they they struggle with coming up with their their, their top hit for the off-the-record Spotify playlist. So what do you got for me?
2: So I'm gonna go back and start with what we were supposed to because that's like it threw me for a loop there. So um, I like the Black Crows. She talks to angels. So I actually have saw them in concert last year. So they were um, yep. So they were um, excellent. Well, you can
1: stop there if you want because that's that's an awesome song, and I would be happy to add that to the playlist. But if you have if you have a Christmas. song hit me with the two
2: so um actually it's a duet and it's mary did you know i just love the song and the soulfulness of it and so yeah um, kenny that's rogers one. and winona um, judd actually um produced that first one and so she just recently did it um at a christmas awards cmt's and it is an unbelievable rendition so
1: beautiful song well we got a two for from joanne so i appreciate that all right, guys, this was great. Um, I'm going to wrap up with just a quick closing here for my, for my audience. Wanted to send you all a final thank you listeners for uh, listening to Off the Record this year and putting up with my nonsense. Uh, three quick numbers for you. These numbers are 34, 145, and 6,000. So 34, that is the number of episodes we've had since I uh, started this podcast last September. September of 2022. A lot more to come. 145. We have 145 followers of the show that have taken the time to subscribe to the show, and then 6,000 is the number of plays that I've had across these 34 shows. So we're averaging about 180, 190 listens per show. I'm building audience, and if you're a part of it, I appreciate it very much. You know, the the world's full of noise endless content streams, endless voices competing for time, eyeballs, ears. I hope we've added a little bit more than just noise. So thank you for taking this journey with me. I'm looking forward to bringing you more thought-provoking discussions with great guests in 2024 and uh, have a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday. Take care, everyone.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to Off The Record, If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. We'll catch you in the next episode.